Good morning, Redeemer Church. I, uh, again, I miss you. I think we're probably going to sound redundant in how frequently we say to you, man, it is, it's hard not to see your face and give you a hug every Sunday. Um, I have been praying for you and, um, and I know we have all been praying for one another. I think it's worth mentioning that as I call through um, our membership list and, and greet each one of you individually or, or I hear Brett's report on how you guys are doing or Trey's or, or Wes's, I, I am just constantly impressed with your resolve to care for one another, to pray for one another with your faithful disposition in the midst of this distressing season. I'm so grateful for you. And, um, and I'm grateful that the Lord has seen fit to, to mold you into uh, closer to the image of Christ. Um, I uh, think the best way to start um, this morning is to pray. So if, if you wouldn't mind praying with me. Father, we are in need of your spirit this morning. You give us eyes to see. You give us ears to hear. You give us softened hearts. And it's only by your grace and by your movement that we can um, hear and comprehend your words and obey them. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would move among your people, that you would teach us how to read and understand your words, and that we would be moved to seek you. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things that I want to do this morning that might take you off guard, and that's okay, I think, um, is I want to try... Uh, to make this a little bit more engaging. Now, you don't have to do this if it makes you uncomfortable, but there are several times throughout this morning's sermon um, where I want to just stop and I want you to pause the video and I want you to discuss amongst yourselves. Just ask yourselves questions about um, the Scripture. And I want you to dialogue honestly amongst yourselves. Uh, about the scripture. Now, if you're with your family, that's great. Ask your kids, ask your wife, um, ask your husband. Um, if you're with your roommates, that's great. Ask your roommates. But if you're alone, just go ahead and pull out your phone um, and text your care group or text a brother or sister in Christ and, and just talk, dialogue about this passage because what we're going to deal with this morning is something that I think is common to the human condition. I think that we all deal with what David is dealing with um, in this passage. So I want you to, to take your time reflecting this morning, and I hope that that reflection will benefit you. I hope that that reflection will stir you to seek God. So in my experience, your life can feel like it's falling apart from two different directions. Um, 
On the one hand, your life can feel like it's falling apart because of external forces. Like, for instance, there could be money problems or relationship problems or, or illness problems. These things are coming from the outside and, and you're wrestling with them as an external pressure, right? But there, there's also, your life can fall apart because of internal Pressure. You could feel like your life is crumbling because of internal pressure. And what I'm referring to is, is loneliness or depression or despair or anxiety. There's two different fronts that you're fighting fear on. You're, you're always pushing back against fear and anxiety on an external front. And, and you're doing it on, on an internal front. Now, on a, on a, on a good day, or a good bad day, you only have to deal with one direction at a time. Maybe things are going bad uh, externally. Maybe you, maybe you got a, a phone call and, and, and maybe your sister's sick, or, or maybe you got a phone call and maybe, um, uh, maybe, maybe your, your, your job's on the line. Um, and, and yet you're not wrestling in that moment with with depression. Maybe you're not wrestling in that moment with deep, dark, internal struggles, but, but on really bad days, you're kind of hit from both sides, right? It's not only that things seem to be crumbling externally, but it seems like this internal wrestle will, will never end. Now, the, the natural response to external pressures and internal pressures is fear. Sometimes crippling fear. Like, like when you're feeling these external pressures, you're asking questions like, oh no, will my daughters get sick with this new virus? Will, will I have a, a job on the other side of this pandemic? I think we're all wrestling with fear because of external pressure right now. It's just the, it's just the state of the world right now. But, but that crippling fear can be associated with this internal pressure that we might feel as well. And then those questions kind of take a different form, like this crippling isolation. Will it never end? This feeling of loneliness, this feeling of despair, is it going to go on forever? Is this my new normal? Now, pardon me, guys, for being a girl dad, but there's this song in the movie Frozen 2, which I have now seen uh, countless times because my daughters love that film. But um, there's this song right in the midst of the film that I feel like reflects these internal fears really brilliantly. And I'm going to read you the lyrics. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. And a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost, hope is gone. Can there be a day 
beyond this night. I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. Or to place this in the biblical terms, the first verse of Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? You can fight fear on both sides. And the pressure is incredible. And that, that pressure leads you to struggle within. Right? Okay, so here's the first opportunity to pause and answer these questions amongst yourselves. One, I want you to discuss how you are fighting fear right now. Are your pressures external? Like, for instance, are you worried about your job or your bank account? Are you, are you worried about uh, getting sick or, or your family getting sick? Are you, are you afraid that, that, that you're not going to be able to see people for a long time? Like, what are those external pressures? Or, or maybe your pressures are internal. Maybe you're grieving over the loss of a loved one, or maybe you're grieving over the loss of, of normalcy, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're feeling isolated and alone. Where are your pressures? So pause if you want to. You don't have to. Pause this, this video and just, just discuss how you're feeling those pressures. So fighting fear on either of these fronts, external and internal, is knee-deep, back-breaking labor on the best day. But fighting fear on both fronts simultaneously just seems impossible. And that's what David was doing when his kingdom crumbled. You may remember that on a single afternoon, David discovered that his own son had stolen the heart of his people had had stolen the throne of Israel and had made traitors of his closest allies. And he flees the promised land. Now that in itself is significant, but he's he's fleeing the promised land with his family and his guard. And on the way out, he's weeping over the kingdom he's lost, and he's and he's mocked and he's cursed by his people, and he's internally struggling with whether or not God still loves him, whether God has cursed him. David is afraid, and he's fighting fear on two fronts. He's, one, literally being hunted down by the armies of Israel that are led by a wicked pretender. So he's He's fighting fear externally. He's afraid for his life. He's, he's afraid for his kingdom. He's afraid for his family. But he's also surrounded by accusations that he's failed God's people, that, that innocent blood is on his hands, that he's been cursed by God. So he's fighting fear internally. He's afraid that his sin has compromised his relationship with God. He's afraid that God hates him. And he's afraid that all hope is lost. Now, in the midst of this desperate distress, David wrote two songs. And both are prayers to God in the midst of this trial. 
And both of these songs are recorded in the Psalms. Now, last week we explored Psalm 3, which kind of reflects and represents David's strategy to fight external fear, right? Like he, he begins his song by reflecting on the many enemies that are hunting him down. And he reflects on, on God's grace, past and present and future. And then he pleads passionately and confidently because he's sure that God is at work and he's sure that he will be rescued. Having remembered God's grace on his behalf, he, he finishes songs by declaring that God will save his people. Like that is a reflection, a biblical godly reflection on external pressures and the fears involved. But David's second song reflects on his fight against internal pressures and fears, his doubt, his despair, his hopelessness. At the root of it, David is terrified that God has left him, that God hates him, and that God has cursed him forever. And out of these fears, David writes these words. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 63. We're going to read Psalm 63 together. Read with me. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings will I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. Have you ever felt as if God was a thousand miles away? Have you ever felt that God didn't know or didn't care about you or your distress? Have you ever felt that it didn't matter how much you sought him? You'd never find him? All right, here's another opportunity to, to pause the video. I want you guys to discuss this situation. Like, discuss a moment in your life when you felt as if God was distant. How did you feel? How did the, the feeling of God's apartness, God's, God's distance, affect your prayer life and your thought life and your behavior? I want you to listen again to David's prayer to the God who felt very far away. 
Listen to his words. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Reread those first two lines. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. And just right there, do you want to know what this song is about? That's what this song is about. Seek God. Seek God when you're desperate. Remember, David is in the wilderness. The desolation, the the lifelessness that surrounds him physically. He feels that inside, right? He feels the cracked grounds, the, the waterless desert valleys. He feels it in his soul. But listen to how he responds to that lifelessness, that that desperate thirst. He says, you are my God. I'm looking for you. God, I'm seeking you. God, right now I seek you because you are what I'm thirsty for. And you are what I'm hungry for. Even though David feels isolated and alone and cursed and and hopeless, he doesn't pray for mere peace or for mere joy or merely for relief from his pain. Relief, temporary relief from felt pain is not the answer. David recognizes that God's nearness is the answer. He says, I seek you. My soul is thirsty for you. My flesh faints for you. When he's desperate and he's weary and when he's hopeless, David cries out for God's nearness. And so should you. Seek God. Because you need him. Seek God because you need him. When times are desperate, seek God because you need him. You feel the hunger. I'm sure you do. Everyone at some point or another feels this desperation, this internal strife. Like your flesh is fainting. It is common to all. And in that moment, which you may or may not be experiencing right now, in that moment, you want relief from this pain, from this numbness, from this distress, from this emptiness. You want relief. But God is what you need. Really. Not mere relief. God alone can satisfy that hunger, that thirst. And so you should seek him because you need him. Keep reading. 
Now, what I want to do here, I want to add a few words because the ESV doesn't do um, my favorite job of translating the conjunctions here. There's a line of reasoning here. There's a thought process in this passage that isn't very, very clear in the English. So I'm going to add a few words so that it kind of makes sense of this stanza and its line of reasoning. So follow along with me, and you can also look in your Bible just to make sure I'm not being crazy. (laughs) David says, Because I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, I know that your steadfast love is better than life, and so my lips will praise you. This is why I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now, I think it's helpful to point out that David's prayer doesn't end in the first paragraph. And I think the first paragraph represents the bulk of my prayers. <laughs> it's, it's not enough to merely say, I need you. I need, I need things to be better. David perseveres in his seeking. He's resolved to seek God. And this prayer is a picture of that process of seeking God. God, David's active, ongoing search for God's presence, God's nearness. And he turns a corner here. And then that corner, that that shift, rallies his resolve to seek God. Why? What, What is it about his Seeking that has rallied his resolve? Why, why, is he, why is he committed now, not only to seek God, but to praise him? It says, in the midst of David's distress, he remembers God's glory. He says, I saw you in your sanctuary. He says, I, I saw your power and your glory. All right, now there's an important question that we need to answer. What does that mean? God David says, he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. What what does that mean? Because we know what it doesn't mean. David didn't literally look with his physical eyes and see God. He didn't literally look and see God's glory. That is a privilege only afforded to very few in the scriptures, Moses among them, but not to David. So if if it's not that he's, he's literally looking at God and seeing all of God's glory physically in person, then what is he talking about? What does David mean when he says he saw God's glory? Listen to his words. Your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. That's what David means. David reflects on God's presence. Like you need to envision him in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, right? And he's and he's looking around and reflecting on the type of God who would do this. This is this is a God who, though he is God, chose to dwell in the midst of a fallen people. And David reflects on God's presence, and David reflects on God's mercy. Like, as, as 
the, the, the sins of Israel are being constantly forgiven by the blood of a sacrifice. David reflects on God's mercy to forgive the sins of a broken people by the blood of an innocent. And David's reflecting on God's faithfulness. He's still here in the midst of his people. He's still here even though they failed because he's promised to establish a kingdom for his people, a kingdom of peace. David reflects on God's faithfulness that is envisioned and embodied in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, and, and he, he remembers God's faithfulness to fulfill the promises he's made long ago to establish a people for his name forever and ever. And David says, your love, God, the love you display when you rescue a people, not because of their merit, but because of your own, when you purchase them with innocent blood, when you promise them forgiveness and restoration and a kingdom without pain, that love, God, is better than life. David, when he cannot feel the nearness of God, what does he do? He remembers God's love. He reflects on God's covenant with God's people. He reflects on the sacrifice made on behalf of God's people to establish reconciliation. And, and he reflects on God's promise and God's faithfulness to fill, fill that promise by establishing a forever kingdom. And he remembers God's love. And as soon as he remembers God's love, he rallies a heart of praise. Listen to his words. He says, I know that your steadfast love is better than life, and so my lips will praise you. This is why I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. See, David has the sanctuary to remember when he's in the deep, dark wilderness, when he's struggling internally, when he's when he's when he's having a hard time remembering what is good and, and what, is, what is filled with hope. He's, he's afraid and he's scared in the wilderness. And in that moment, he has the sanctuary to reflect on. And he remembers the sacrifices and, and the great high priest. And he remembers God's covenant promises, the ark. He, he remembers all the things of God in this physical place, the sanctuary. But we have the gospel. Only foreshadowed in the sanctuary, we have the reality, which is the gospel. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And he spent himself. Christ poured out his blood, innocent blood, on, the, on behalf of, of God's people so that they would be reconciled to God. And because of that reconciliation, they have only, only to look in hope to the coming kingdom. We have the gospel that embodies God's love to reflect on in the darkness. The gospel is God's display of love toward his people. So here's the next opportunity to pause the video and ask yourself some questions. Here's the question. The gospel is God's love on display. When did you first encounter the love of God? Recall a moment when the gospel was real for you and how that changed the way you thought about your situation. 
discuss amongst yourselves when you first encountered the love of God on display in the gospel and how it changed your life. So David seeks God because he needs him. And now we see that David continues to seek God because God loves him. He's, he's reflecting on the love of God as fuel to continue to seek him, right? And now we see that David will seek God because he knows he will find him. All right. Notice that David's feelings of desperation have not yet resolved. David says nothing here yet about no longer being thirsty, about no longer being hungry, about no longer having a, a faint, fainting flesh, like yearning for God. Like that, that tension, that felt distress is real and it's still present. The only thing that changed is that David is now adding to his, his motivation for seeking God that one, I know I need him. I know I need him, but also I should keep seeking him because I know that he loves me. I've I looked back and I've thought about the sanctuary and I know that he loves me. And so I should continue to press after him. But listen, and this is beautiful. Keep reading. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night because you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, God. Your right hand upholds me. Now notice here that the tense has shifted. David says, I am hungry. Right now, I am hungry. He says, I am thirsty. David says, my flesh faints right now for you, God. But, but here, you hear him start to look forward. He says, my soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. No longer talking about right now. He's talking about in the future. He's anticipating with confidence that this thirst and this hunger and this frailty is only temporary. In fact, he knows when he'll feast and when he'll drink his fill and when he'll sing with joyful lips. He knows when. When? When will David feast? When will David drink his fill in the presence of God? When I remember you on my bed, when I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Interesting. So this song begins with David's commitment to seek God, right? There's all this felt desperation, all this turmoil. But in the midst of that felt turmoil, David is absolutely committed to seeking God. And when he's seeking David remembers God's love, God's, God's never-ending, never-failing covenant love, right? He remembers that love, and he says, 
okay, I just, I need to keep going. I, I need to keep going because I'm not just seeking after the God I need. I'm seeking after a God who loves me. And then against the backdrop of that love, which, which David has now remembered and rallies because of that display of God's love in the covenant, against the backdrop of God's love, David rallies in his confidence. He says, I will keep seeking, even if I have to stay up until four in the morning. That's what that means, early watches of the night. He's talking about seeking God in prayer, in waiting, in meditation. He's talking about seeking God until the deep, deep dark of the night. He says, I will keep seeking when I'm laying on my bed. I will keep seeking into the middle of the night because those who seek God will find him and they will feast in his presence. Why does David resolve to seek God? Because because he needs him. And why does David resolve to seek God? Because God loves him. And why does David resolve to seek God? Because God will be found by those who seek him. I wasn't going to include this, but I want to tell you a very quick story about my, back, my background. I came from um, uh, an Assemblies of God church um, when I was young. And I was taught in that church that if you sinned, you you will fall out of God's grace, which means that you only remained within the covenant. You only remained uh, an object of God's favor so long as you didn't sin. Well, that's a problem (laughs) because I did sin. I remember vividly hoping that if I die soon, I would die in a way that would give me time to ask Jesus to forgive me one last time or else I would go to hell. I struggled with this fear that I was always falling out of God's grace because I sinned for years, all throughout junior high and high school, just desperately afraid that I was I was not within God's love, not within God's covenant, not within God's grace. And then I found this verse in Psalm 9. And this verse became for me a sweet demonstration of God's love, God's covenant faithfulness and the mercy of God in Christ. Listen to this. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. All of a sudden, that whole rocky, terrible foundation upon which I built my faith was wiped away and in its place was this promise. You seek me and you'll find me. I'll never forsake those who seek me. 
That's what David is doing here. He's confident that God is a God who can be found. He's confident that God, because he loves his people, will not allow them to perish in their seeking. Seek God because you need him. Seek God because he loves you. And seek God because he will be found. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Is your flesh faint? Seek the God who will be found. Seek him. Now, don't stop seeking him until you find him. But you will find him, I promise, because his love will never fail, and he's a God who may be found. Oh gosh, I'm adding stuff all over the place. I'm going to read from Acts 17 for a second. Another one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. Hang on, hang on. Paul's talking to a group of pagans in Athens. And he says, The God who has made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? Why did God do all that? Why? That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What a promise. Everything in your life was, was placed where it is. Everything in your life is, is, is unfolding as it is that you might seek God and feel your way toward him. But here's the hope. He's not far from you. This is a God who will be found. God will never forsake those who seek him. Ever. Ever. God will never forsake those who seek him. Do you seek him? All right, here's another opportunity to pause the, uh, the video and, and ask yourself a tough question. Do you seek God when you're overwhelmed, when you're thirsty and hungry and your flesh is faint? Do you seek God then? If not, what do you seek instead? And here's another question. When you seek him, do you expect to find him? <sighs> okay. Let's finish out this beautiful song. Seek God because he'll save you. Listen to David's words. He says, Those who seek to destroy my life shall go into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king 
shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David seeks God because he needs him. David seeks God because God loves him. And David seeks God because he knows he'll find him. And if this were a Hallmark card, the song would be over. But God promises more to his people. David will seek God and he'll find him. And when he rushes into God's mighty arms, he'll be saved. Rescue is found in God. That's the final reason. That's perhaps the most important reason to seek God because God saves those who seek him. But don't get terribly distracted here. It isn't so important what David is saved from. Think instead of what David is saved to. Listen to the contrast here. David says, those who seek to destroy my life will go to the grave They'll die by the sword, and they'll become food for jackals. That's three different ways to say death awaits them. But he doesn't say, those people will die, but the king will live. That's what makes the most sense right now, right? Like, all of my enemies will die, but I will live, right? That's not what he says. He doesn't say, the king will live. He says, the king will rejoice in God. <sighs> Someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe many years from now, but someday God will rescue his people. To what? How often do you ask that question? To what? Yeah, you know what you're being saved from. Because you could see that right now vividly. You're, you're, you're being saved from death, which haunts us. You're being saved by a great enemy who prowls like, an enemy, like, a, like a lion, seeking someone to devour. You're being saved from pain and suffering and loss. And from sorrow, you're going to be saved from sorrow. And you'll be saved, perhaps most importantly, from your own sin. But what are you being saved to? The king and all who swear by him will rejoice in God. God. God is your reward. He is truly all that you've ever longed for. Whether you know it or not, right now you're hungry for him. You're thirsty for him. Your flesh faints for him. All the things in the world that we try and, 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 and grab and take and, 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 and enjoy to fill that void in our heart, that's not enough. That's God. He's the only one who can fill that void. You've longed for him from the beginning. You're so used to longing for God that you barely even know that longing is, is there all the time. But if you seek him, God will be your reward. And if you seek him, you'll find him and you'll rejoice in God forever.
And the last question. Maybe not, maybe not a question. Maybe it's just a discussion. David says confidently, I will seek God because I need him. He says, I will seek God because God loves me. He says, I will seek God because he can be found. And he says, I will seek God because he will rescue me. There you are in your distress, afraid, lonely, desperate, scared. What are you going to do with that fear? Will you seek him? Will you seek him until he's found? Will you place your hope in his rescue? I do hope you will. Let's pray. Make us seekers, Lord. When we're afraid, may we be driven to seek you. May we confidently seek you because we need you, because we know you love your people. And because we know you're a God who may be found. And because we know you are a God who saves. May we seek you when we are distressed. Make us a people characterized by our seeking. In Christ's name, amen.